They don't think she should be told when to resign, and they think if she decides she wants to, she should have a say. And right now, it's defo, not Katie Porter. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, April 21st. Today, I'm joined by Tara Palmieri to talk about the drama surrounding California Senator Dianne Feinstein's absence from the Senate and who Gavin Newsom might choose to replace her if she retires. Tara also brings word of some donor frustration with would-be presidential candidate Ron DeSantis after the Republicans signed a new restrictive abortion law in Florida. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com sale. That's hellotend.com sale. And book your free consult today. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm joined today to talk politics by Tara Palmieri. We're going to talk about the Republican primary in 2024. Lots of new Ron DeSantis buzz out there. But first, I want to talk about the Dems. Tara, there's an intriguing Washington story going on, but it's not just a D.C. story because this question of Dianne Feinstein taking a leave of absence from the Senate and the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, leaving Democrats unable to confirm judges as fights over abortion are playing out in the courts. Will she return to the Senate? Is it sexist to say that? Is it ageist to say that? There are all these questions about Dianne Feinstein, including if she does resign, who might replace her? But first, I mean, what's the latest gossip on the Hill about her? I mean, is she, she's ostensibly out dealing with a shingles infection. She's been out since February 16th, I believe. And she's asked Chuck Schumer to appoint a new Democrat to the Judiciary Committee to help them move these judges through. Is that even possible? No, it's not, because Tom Cotton and like has said hell no. And Mitch McConnell, even though he's just coming back after concussion, seems to not be willing to help on this one. So it seems like Diane's got to get back. They are not going to be able to replace her. And uh, Chuck Schumer said that he's hopeful that she comes back, but there's really not much else um, we're hearing in D.C. But there's definitely frustration at this point. You need 60 votes to approve that replacement on the judiciary and Republicans aren't going to help do a solid for Dems. (laughs) Mitch McConnell is not going to whip 10 Republicans up to help Democrats pass more judges who radically change the composition of our country. No, sorry. (laughs) So what happens next with DiFi then? Does she just hang out and wait till she gets better? I guess. Everyone's like, let her have her dignity. Let her do it her way. I mean, this came up when, I mean, she's already said, by the way, she's retiring at the end of her term. She'll there's an election right. for her seat next year, a crowded Democratic primary. But I do remember, and we talked about this on the podcast, I think, Congresswoman Katie Porter from Orange County jumped in the race to replace her before she'd even resigned. And there was this whole conversation like, 
show her some respect. Like, let her announce before you jump in the Senate race. And Nancy Pelosi the other day came out and said, you know, you don't hear people calling for, you know, ill men to retire from the Senate or old men to retire from the Senate. Yeah, but as long as they're showing up, it's fine. I'm sure Grassley wasn't showing up. People would be like, okay, dude, move on. This is So the the person leading the charge on this publicly, at least, uh, last week was Ro Khanna, who's Democratic member from California, very ambitious, thought about running for that Senate seat too. He's supporting Barbara Lee, who's announced the Bay Area congresswoman for that Senate seat. And he said, California has an absentee senator right now. It's basically been more than two months since she hasn't been around. And he hasn't said this, but I've seen other progressives, uh, male and female, by the way, on Twitter and on some YouTube politics shows, say it's not sexist because the thing we need here are pro-choice judges on the courts. (laughs) And if we can't get those judges on the courts, time is running out here. Biden cannot get reelected. Stop thinking big, okay? I don't know. I just like... I don't know how much respect, like you run out of respect at a certain point. Like she hasn't been around. There's all these stories about how she's borderline senile. When Strom and Robert Byrd were borderline senile, people were calling on them to resign. <laughs> I'm sorry. Totally. I mean, after the day that her office announced that she was resigning, she told a reporter she wasn't resigning. So it's like, that's not proof enough. I don't know. Yeah. It's also like in California, like I don't, I'm sure Kamala has fans. I'm sure Newsom has fans. Katie Porter has fans. Adam Schiff has fans. Like, there's not a lot of, like, people respect Dianne Feinstein's career as a trailblazer. She's done some important things for progressives over the years. Lately, she's been more of a centrist, I would say. But there's just not a lot of constituency for her at this point. Like, she doesn't have a lot of defenders other than some of her older colleagues and then, I guess, some blind quote staffers. She's got, like, a die-fi crew. Okay. And they just got together a few weeks ago and they are all annoyed with Katie Porter and they believe that DiFi, Diane Feinstein, has a right to have a say in who her replacement is. And so they're like arguing for her rights. And you could say these are just like political hanger honors who have been around her their whole lives, but they have a crew and they just got together. They have like this annual thing, alumni, et cetera. And they don't think she should be told when to resign. And they think if she decides she wants to, she should have a say. And right now, it's defo, not Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, the funny thing is that Diane Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi, two trailblazing feminist women, both prefer Adam Schiff over all of them. (laughs) A white dude. So go figure that, right? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, politicians, like you're a House person or a Senate person or you're friends with people from your district. Um, (laughs) Just people you've known a long time. Turns out you're just friends with who you're friends with. So the story of Up on Puck that I found interesting is if Feinstein doesn't come back to the Senate, if she says, "Okay, I'm going to resign, there's still a year and a half left in her term, basically. And Governor Gavin Newsom has the power to appoint her replacement, who would then either run for re-election next year or step aside, just be a placeholder. He appointed Alex Padilla to fill Kamala's seat. Uh, he was a Newsom ally and, you know, the first Hispanic senator from California. This is the nation's biggest state. Who's Newsom? Who would he put in that slot? I mean, there's obviously lots of people who would want that Senate seat, including the people running for Senate. Well, that's the thing. Um, I've talked to people who are close to him, and he did make that promise that the Congressional Black Caucus is trying to hold him to, and that is that he would appoint a black woman to the job. 
And they would prefer if it was Barbara Lee. Obviously, that would give her a huge advantage. But Gavin Newsom has his own constituencies as well, and he's very ambitious. So he doesn't want to piss off the CBC, right? Mm -hmm. But if he puts, you know, Barbara Lee in there and appoints her. And she's running for Senate already. Yeah, she's in the primary. You're alienating Adam Schiff who you share a lot of supporters with, you could share a consultancy with Bear Star, mm-hmm. donors, etc. You might piss off the Katie Porter progressive whiteboard lady uh, crowd. Uh, not, I don't think he cares as much about that. But like, if he really is truly interested in running for president, which he is, if Biden doesn't work out or later on, he doesn't want to make any enemies with this decision. Um, there is the placeholder right and there's been talk of the secretary of state shirley weber Hmm. she happens to be a black woman who could be that person but i was told that when gavin newsom tried to do this before when he appointed a placeholder for mayor of san francisco he put ed lee in there Mm -hmm. under the assurances that he wouldn't run for re-election because he was just a placeholder and then guess what he ran for re-election and he became mayor and this is through an election and this is what happens so even if you put a placeholder in there they have such a strong advantage why not run and there's nothing legally binding them from not running except maybe a promise to be a placeholder i've been told from people close to him that he just really needs some more time Mm. (laughs) well look we don't know if feinstein's going to resign he does have time but yeah now that karen bass left congress moved home ran to become mayor of la and won She's off the table. You can't just pick up and leave and go back to D.C. And then Barbara Lee is yeah. the most obvious choice, like as a member of Congress is already there. But she's running and that would give her an unfair advantage, theoretically, over Schiff and Porter. But look, I mean, it, it certainly would give Barbara Lee an advantage. She would obviously meet many new people, many new potential donors. She would, you know, maybe have a couple viral clips from the Senate that help her in some way. I do think, though, that California Democrats... They generally like pay attention to stuff. I, I don't think they would automatically give Barbara Lee an edge because I think most people would know she was just appointed and they want their people to earn it. I mean, Alex Padilla ran for re-election and won, but he was mostly unopposed after he was appointed. So who knows? I mean, maybe you still have to win on your own terms if you run for re-election after being appointed. And she would have a very tough race on her hands because Schiff wouldn't step out of the race. Porter wouldn't step out of the race. So it's not a sure shot. For Barbara Lee, if she's appointed to that slot, that she would then get reelected. But it makes it gives people a lot of headaches. That's I think the the Secretary of State placeholder move is like the no brainer. But will she really just be a placeholder? I know. I know. That's the question. Um, hey, Tara, I want to <laughs> take a quick break and come back and ask you about uh, Ronald DeSantis. Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking, I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. 
So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. Pancakes, I love pancakes, more than waffles, more than French toast. A couple of my favorites so far, the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites. I love egg bites. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. So sign up and save. Head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Welcome back, everyone, to the powers that be. Switching parties, talking GOP. Tara, Ron DeSantis continues to be the subject of a lot of um, attention. He is getting attacked by Trump. He's being called Pudding Fingers. I think that ad, calling him Pudding Fingers, by the way, you broke that on Twitter, a micro-scoop. Uh, mini scoop, yeah. I guess. Um, I micro, I microed that yeah, on yeah. Twitter. People are making fun of that ad, by the way. But Dan Pfeiffer actually wrote an interesting Substack piece saying it could actually be a smart strategy by Trump. Actually, because forget about the attacks about Medicare and, and whatever. It seems like Trump is trying to paint DeSantis as a weirdo, kind of like Obama did with Mitt Romney or Bush did with Kerry, kind of like out of touch or weird or whatever. And putting fingers could be the first step in that direction. But putting that aside, <laughs> DeSantis doesn't have a lot of defenders out there in the press. He's got people raising money for him, members of Congress, a few senators, governors certainly like him. He's got donors. But when Trump attacks DeSantis, DeSantis isn't really responding. And he doesn't have any surrogates out there throwing darts back at Mr. Trump yet. Uh, why is that? Just because he hasn't announced? Well, it's interesting. It's partially because he hasn't announced, but partially because up until this indictment, the entire Fox News, OANN, conservative universe was pretty much like a DeSantis surrogate, right? And Trump's attacks, they've been covered, but Trump was not really like forefront in the conversation on television. And, you know, the DeSantis team has created this entire campaign around Twitter, and they've all these Twitter defenders. But the truth is that like prime GOP primary voters are older people and they watch Fox. Apparently, according to a source um, on Trump's team, they watch Fox about three to five times per week. And that's why they buy so many ads there. Hmm. And now that Trump has sucked up all the oxygen, they don't really have a plan for defending DeSantis against the attacks on Fox. They really only have Ken Cuccinelli. They don't have like a real surrogate operation yet. He hasn't announced yet, but he's getting attacked and he's getting defined by Trump. And maybe nobody wants to do it, frankly, because they're afraid that Trump will win and they don't want to be an enemy of Trump's because everybody knows that being an enemy of Trump is a difficult thing. But I think that the indictment has changed the calculus. And, and now Trump is back in the news and DeSantis needs more defense. So and I, and I now that Jeff Rowe has been brought on, you know, he's trying to get them to think about like a national strategy, not one that just relies on like blue check marks that live in their mom's basements that will attack, you know, any critics on Twitter. And I do know from my reporting that they are talking to influencers, mm -hmm. like MAGA influencers mm -hmm. who can go on TV for him. Yeah. That's crucial. Yeah. Even if they take the edge off in some of those conversations, that's helpful. But yeah, Jeff Rowe just won us governor's race in Virginia and Ken Cuccinelli famously lost one. So I would 
probably take Jeff's advice on that front. What are you hearing from donors about this abortion ban that Ron DeSantis signed, basically banning most abortions in the state of Florida after six weeks? I mean, that's in line with other (laughs) Republican governors, obviously, like Greg Abbott in Texas. But one of DeSantis's selling points in the donor class has been he can win a primary against Trump, but he can also maybe tiptoe toward swing voters in a general election. And this seems like a decision that would ice him out (laughs) from those swing voters. What are donors saying? Yeah, they're all freaking out. I mean, I've been getting phone calls all weekend. I've been getting phone calls for weeks about this. They're just like, he needs to back away from it. But what they don't understand is that he's fully embraced it. He thinks he has to do it. Uh, He thinks he needs to outflank Trump from the right on abortion because evangelicals are so pissed at Trump for blaming them, for blaming the overturning of Roe, for why the midterm losses were so bad. He wouldn't even sign on to a bill in 2018. It was a six-week federal ban when he was in Congress. Like, he's clearly, like, not that passionate about it. But now when you talk to people close to him, they're like, no, he's so pro-life. You know, there I do know from my reporting, I spoke to a bunch of, of legislators in, in Tallahassee, and DeSantis would not accept anything more than six weeks. He wanted it six weeks. He wanted it that low. And he fought for this. His arm wasn't twisted. There's sort of this like fallacy that he was sort of forced into this. But no, he wanted it, even though he signed it in the dark of night at 11 p.m. before no press. Yeah, as if no one would notice. I mean, it's like this is this illustrates the challenge of running for president. Theoretically, (laughs) he hasn't announced yet. Mm -hmm. While you're also... A governor. Governors have a lot of upside. You know, you aren't beholden to DC news cycles. You can create your own narrative. And DeSantis's biggest asset so far has been his anti-woke legislative agenda in Florida. That's made him a star. At the same time, his clash with Disney, the hurricane, this abortion ban. He handled the hurricane pretty well, but like the other things are proving to be kind of thorny issues for him. And so while you're running for president, you might have to go back home and deal with X, Y, or Z. And sometimes that can be an asset. Sometimes it can be a negative. And I think, you know, it's still up in the air how this plays out, obviously, but this is an interesting challenge for him. Totally. I'm interested to see if it ends up backfiring too, not just like nationally, but in Florida. A lot of the legislators are worried that they're going too far to the right. That yes, they did just win by 20 points and, Florida's pretty red, but it could end up coming back to bite them down the line. And apparently DeSantis, you know, he's very sensitive. He was annoyed to hear people like Christy Nome calling Florida an abortion sanctuary state. And, you know, that I think the abortion rate went up 30% in Florida because so many of the states around there, you know, you can't get an abortion. And it's just like, I don't know, it just, it reflects to me the insularity of his team the sensitivity of his team, the Tallahassee mentality. His chief of staff is apparently like extremely pro-life. And they don't even really care about the donors. They're just like, whatever, they'll come around. Who else are they going to support? Trump? They hate They hate Trump. He's not wrong. But Thomas Petrify telling the FT, on the record, I'm telling my friends to stand down on Ronnie is what I've been hearing for a long time and writing about for a while because of this bill. So... We shall see. This is a just this is a separate conversation down the road. But, you know, I 
in thinking about the whole, I mean, there's obviously a fleet of Republican governors who are trying to be the most conservative governors in the entire country. And I do wonder if in certain states this will come back to haunt them. And I'm thinking of, the only reason I'm bringing that up is um, the example of Kansas. Like Sam Brownback became governor of Kansas, I think back in like 2011, he implemented the Kansas experiment, which like cut, just slashed the budget. Uh, you know, it was like heralded at the time as like, this is a model for like Reagan Tea Party governance, you know? And then, you know, fast forward eight years later, he's like the most unpopular politician in the country. Democrat Laura Kelly comes in and wins in Kansas because remember, like, there's still Democrats in these states. And Florida has a shitload of Democrats. They were a swing state two cycles ago. They, <laughs> Ron DeSantis barely won uh, his first election as governor. And, like, there might be some kind of back-end revolt down the road. I'm not saying Ron DeSantis has to deal with that right now, but it does make you think that in some of these red states there just might be enough frustration down the road by just this kind of conservative governance that might blow up in their faces. Who knows? Um, Tara, thank you so much for joining me as always. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Peter. Always a pleasure to join you as well. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.